Telling you, bro. What's been happening, bro? Uh, not too much. Still hitting more Peggyos. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of The Riff Raff. Shane Terrio here, broadcasting from not sunny Southern California. It's uh, gloomy, cold, wet Los Angeles. Not what I signed up for. Anyway, I'm out here for a while, working on a few projects. But the perfect day today, an opportunity to finish this episode with Trey Gunn that I'm really excited about that's coming up here shortly. A couple of announcements. Yes, my website, shaneterrio.com, it's up. For those of you that have already signed up, thank you so much. Uh, you can sign up. It doesn't cost anything. If you do want to sign up as a Mojo VIP member, you get exclusive content. I also have lessons up there. I'm calling mini Mojo lessons. There's stuff up there now. I'm posting weekly. I've got play long tracks. I've got... Uh, Picking exercise, books, all kinds of things, videos about amps and blah, 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 things like that. Check it out. My buddy Dweezil Zappa and the fine folks at rewardmusic.com helped me put it together. A lot of music up there, too. All right. Um, yeah, as always, hit me up on uh, Facebook, Guitar Nola. No, wait. Facebook is Shane Terrio Music. Instagram is Guitar Nola. And love your feedback, comments on iTunes, and blah, blah, blah. All right, let's get to today's guest. My guest today is Mr. Trey Gunn. Really excited to have Trey on Riff Raff. Trey is probably best known for being a member of King Crimson for about 10 years, along with Adrian Ballou, Robert Fripp, and Tony Levin. He's also a pioneer on the Chapman Stick and War guitar instruments, and we'll talk about that in depth. He's also got, uh, I lost count, maybe 15 solo records. He's a prolific composer, musician. He's collaborated with amongst others, uh, David Sylvian, like I said, Robert Fripp, John Paul Jones, Tool, lots of other people. He's always composing and writing. I was, I was familiar with Trey and uh, you know his career, but what really struck me was his creative voice coaching. And he does workshops, and he does one-on-one -on -one counseling that I recommend. I actually took some courses with him, and um, we discussed creativity and, you know, just 
nurturing your creative spirit and he's really great at that so i encourage you to check him out treygun.com it's t-r-e-y-g-u-n-n so uh yeah this is another one that we did remotely trey joined me from seattle and i was down in la and chatted about lots of things and here we go i hope you enjoy it all right my guest today trey gunn and trey thank you so much for joining me happy to be here (laughs) curious about what we're gonna get into is it raining up there in seattle of course yeah it it is is. it's not all no it's not always raining but it is this week we have like uh i don't know six days of drizzle it's a beautiful city man i always love going to seattle yeah it's great and you know at least with the rain uh we know we're going to have water in the summer and uh it's snowing in the mountains so yeah yeah it's been raining here in la which is weird that's not supposed to happen I know it wasn't part of the program, but, uh, you know, we don't know each other that well, but to my listeners, I want to say that a few years ago, I, uh, stumbled across your video and everybody needs to check this out immediately after listening to this. It's called Trey Gunn speaks on original voice. And it really, man, something about that video and your message that day not only hit home and resonated with me, it actually caused me to seek you out. And I took a couple of coaching sessions from you, which I highly recommend. We'll talk about that in a minute. But, mm. you know, what he says on this YouTube video is just golden to me. I mean, for, for any anybody trying to go down the artistic path, you know, I mean, I've wrestled with this over the years myself. I mean, I knew about you. I knew your, who you were and who you played with and everything, but that really watched it about four times. I actually watched it again this morning to refresh. What, what can I, can I ask you yes, a question? Yes, what, yes. what, um, what, uh, stuck out for you in that? Well, it was, you know, it was, I know the there's fact, a lot of things covered, but just to, for me personally, what, what stuck out and it, I'm sure everybody's different was that, you know, I've, I've been a professional musician for a long time, sideman recording, all that stuff had, my own solo projects, but I never put that at the forefront and just certain things you said, like, uh, I believe I'm paraphrasing, but, uh, to find your own way is more valuable than, you know, to do what somebody else did. And, um, yeah. And and also, um, how you, you look at somebody, a a great artist that you aspire to or think it's unattainable. and, And you said that basically, you know, they're they're not doing anything different than what you could have done. They just <laughs> kind of stuck with it, you know, and kept making. I think you said make a lot of shit. Yeah, <laughs> just make a yeah, lot of stuff. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of yeah. nuggets that I took out of it, but those are two that I remember. And you know, the first one, just to just to clarify for people who don't think I'm too much of a jerk, I I, I try to. I think I state it uh, in the in the in the talk. The video is a talk uh, that I gave. Uh, mostly to a bunch of filmmakers here in Seattle. Um, but I think it's valuable to do your own thing, but that's a bias. That's a personal bias. And, you know, um, there's lots of different ways to be a musician. And I'm just kind of in that talk, focusing on what is it? Sure. Yeah. What is it like to go on a path um, that's not gone before? And, and that's kind of a, you know, we think of the, creative arts, painting and whatnot and, and music and writing and film or whatever. And, um, 
they are creative arts, but there's a, there's a way to kind of go even deeper off the deep end where you're not, um, uh, even following kind of the historic line of, of, of the tradition of the genre, you know? And, and so that's kind of what I was trying to address. Like, how do you, how do you make a pathway where you're not, um, you know, a genre writer or a, 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 like a jazz guitarist. Okay. You can explore. Sure. But if you, if you're in the path of, uh, of, um, you know, playing Texas swing or something, you've got to master that. And, and there's, there, there kind of is a pathway, but my talk was basically if you're going where there is no pathway and that's my, that's my personal bias. So just, yeah. And and it was refreshing to hear. And how, you know, a lot of the people, I mean, I, I obviously have a lot of guitar players that listen to this podcast. Um, my Wayne Krantz, the episode I did with Wayne Krantz, I believe you you uh, stumbled across that. And yeah. Wayne is a perfect example of what you're talking about, because not only did he go after his own style, I mean, he really, he he abandoned everything before. Like, right, he, he right. He gave up any, for him, it was, you know, bebop cliches and he calls them his Pat Martino lines. He, he basically forced himself to not play any of that stuff for years. And, and as a result, that path, that was a hard path because he didn't get calls for a lot of things. He was in this weird, he's like, well, I'm a solo artist now and I got my own thing, but now what? And he, you know, he might be, um, he might be our best example yeah. because he, he not only, I mean, of course, a lot of people take it, you can go further or less further in that way. But, um, Wayne's also kind of made, um, uh, a kind of, there's a method in his madness of how he went about that just as a player, uh, which I find really, really valuable. And I I actually refer a lot of my particular kinds of coaching clients that I have to Wayne's, uh, method in his book. Cause I, I think it's, I think it's kind of genius in its open-endedness and non- genre kind of play. Right. Uh, I think it's brilliant. Yeah. Well, I think that's sort of the theme of, you know, I mean, obviously I want to talk about your career and all the, all the things you've done, King Crimson and, you know, Robert Fripp, David Sylvian being an innovator on the Chapman stick, but this whole thing, we could do a whole episode just on creativity and how you. <laughs> yeah. It's a big, it's a big subject. And you know, what's so awesome about it in the positive and also the negative in terms of talking about it is if you're really doing uh, creative work, you don't know what the hell you're doing. You don't know where you're going. You can't see the future. You know, if it's, if it's really uh, creative action that you're participating in, uh, you don't, you can't see it. You just, you, you just kind of have your, you know, you can see one or two steps, but you can't see right. seven steps. So it's, uh, it's crazy and crazy, uncomfortable and uncertain. And, you know, Wayne's a great example. If you really want to go into the unknown, you have to leave the known behind. Yeah. And, and, uh, it's true. Nobody's going to call you for a while. <laughs> I mean, another example of that was Alan Holsworth, you know, what, what, what an original voice that was. And, you can't name an influence. I mean, you can't, he doesn't sound like anybody. It sounds like he's from outer space or something. Even still, right? Isn't that amazing? Yeah. 
Yeah. Even if you go back to his early recordings in the eighties or whatnot, it, it's still no, nobody's nobody either wanted to go there or nobody could go there or both. Exactly. I'd like to come back to the, this topic, but before yeah. we dive, I mean, we've already dipped our toe in it before we get too deep in, you know, I was checking out your, um, Wikipedia. I didn't realize you, you're like, you came from a punk background. Is that right? Uh, there's a punk background. Yeah. I have a, I, I guess I had a very unusual background nowadays. It doesn't seem that unusual, but I kind of had a, uh, uh, classical background as a kid and kind of kept that going while I, while I got into the whole punk scene down in Texas. And then when I um, moved up to Oregon, there was a lot of, in the early eighties, there was just this kind of uh, wave of, you know, West coast punk bands going up and down the West coast. So like what punk by, uh, what, what would that have been? What name some of the bands uh, that you like? Uh, Black Flag, oh, yeah, Circle Black Jerks, Flag. X. Yeah. Um, yeah, that kind of stuff. Other people that, I don't even know where they went. Romeo Void, Suburban Lawns. Um, How did you end up in New York? You just, did you move for a gig? Or you just I did. You know, I was, I was um, in, in school and playing music out in Eugene. And then I knew that I had to go... Uh, either to LA or New York to me, I wasn't going to go to Nashville. Yeah. Um, that didn't suit me, although I grew up in Texas, but still going to Nashville didn't make sense. And, uh, funny enough, I, I thought about moving to LA <laughs> and I went down there to look around and I actually was looking at the Chapman stick and hanging out with people there for a bit, uh, before I moved. And I had this terror that, um, if I moved to LA, I would just want to hang out at the beach all the time <laughs> and I wouldn't, you know, I, I, I would get distracted. So <laughs> I thought, screw it. I'm going to go to New York. You know, to be honest, New York wasn't that great for me. I, I don't, I don't feel like it was a great time in New York. Mm -hmm. uh, I moved in 86. So, uh, you know, I had a lot of affinity for a lot of the New York bands in the eighties, kind of the talking heads, Laurie Anderson, even the Ramones and the, I don't know, just the New York vibe. But it, to me, when I kind of got there, 86, 87, that wasn't really happening anymore. Mm. And uh, it just didn't, it didn't really click for me that much. It's so hard to, uh, you know, do 
well, you know, you live there. Move your. Thankfully, I wasn't a drummer. Moving right. your drums around in New York City is a nightmare. But, yeah, um, logistically, it can be. A- I feel like it. And then I, I, I ended up uh, leaving. Well, I was there for about ten years, and then I I've felt. I feel like actually, when I left, New York started to take off again. And also, the other fu- funny irony I thought was moving to New York the time I did was pretty much when. Um, uh, Bill Frizzell and Wayne Horowitz moved out to Seattle. Oh, wow. At the same time. So okay. I, I felt like, I think I saw Bill play within the first six months I was in New York and then he was out of there. So, I think yeah. so that's how I got to New York. But I had already started working with uh, Robert Fripp and hmm. ended up during my time of, of living in New York. I spent a lot of time over in England um, working with Robert and going to Europe quite a bit. So things were okay. It's just, uh, um, it wasn't the, uh, the most restful place for me to come home to. Yeah. Yeah. Well, how did you, now were you playing exclusively Chapman stick at that point? Uh, when I first met Robert, um, I was playing guitar and then by like, Oh man, pretty quickly, like 1987, I think I started playing the stick. Mm-hmm. I was originally interested in the stick because of the tuning. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had a, I had kind of a, um, a little revelation that the kind of the story I used to, I used to tell was that I always felt like no matter what I did on the guitar, I still had Eric Clapton leaning over my shoulder (laughs) and the, 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 the blues rock sense of electric guitar, as much as I love it, it just does not suit me at all. And I heard of this instrument, the Chapman stick and heard that it was tuned in fifths like a cello and i was like oh that's there's a way to get you out of your (laughs) exactly uh but then when i first met robert he was using this fifth bass tuning on the guitar and i put that on my instrument was like oh i was right it's 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 uh the fourths just don't work for me and here's the fifths and so uh the guitar kind of uh, came alive to me for me again like maybe for a year and a half and then i started playing the chapman stick and that was it. I just, uh, you know, similar, like we were saying with, with Wayne, what I felt, felt like I had to do with the tuning was put the, put this fifth tuning on all the instruments I had and not touch the fourths ever again. Wow. And, and, and be in, and, and as confused, as confusing as that was, that was the way to do it. And the sim- similar, when I first started playing the stick, um, which probably most people know, but I'll, just a quick description. It has two sets of strings a bass set of strings and a guitar sets of guitar side of strings. So it has 10 strings and it's stereo and you play it mostly all tapping. We can say it's, it's a completely tapped instrument. Uh, the, the traditional old school stick tuning is fifths on the bass side and fourths on the top side. Oh, wow. But, but I tune it all in fifths and I uh, have developed different tunings over the years and now I'm quite subtle on my tuning. But one of the things that I did with the instrument to um, uh, really learn it was, and actually this was a great thing about being in New York. I went on about a hundred auditions and I went on bass auditions and just showed up with a stick. (laughs) And, you know, it was fantastic because I was just thrown into all these situations and I wasn't really trying to get a gig. If I got one, that would be great. And I did meet a few people along the way, but I just was thrown into, you know, a country band, different rock bands. They're in this key. I have to figure out what we're doing and just 
you know, you got your 15 minute wow. audition. And New York seems like it would be the type of place where if at all you'd get away with that, it would be in New York. You know, people would go, well, that's cool. Let's give it a shot. You know? Yeah. Well, I mean, what are you going to do? You're, 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 you know, this, these are the kind of auditions where you go there and there's like 15 musicians standing in the hallway yeah, and they're bringing them in every 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes it was even like they th- put a score in front of me. And, and though, although I can read very well, I didn't know where any of the notes were. Um, so that was, that was cool. <laughs> That's pretty ballsy actually. <laughs> yeah. I mean, why not? Why not? <laughs> And of course they didn't, I didn't tell them I was going to show up with a stick. They were like, what the hell is that thing? I was like, yeah, just, just let's play. Let's play. Talking about open tunings uh, in Robert Fripp, I mean, I remember learning, uh, is it Salisbury Hill, Peter Gabriel? I believe that's Robert Fripp playing acoustic guitar. Uh, I He's on that record. Yeah, that's a good question, but it I, doesn't sound like Robert to me. I don't know. I, but definitely to, Tony Levin plays the bass on that track. Yeah, there's a there's a really like an open tuning and it's really, it's like yeah. a C tuning or something ridiculous like Probably, yeah. probably an ovation neck could withstand that tension. Um, you know what? Um, I'm going to check after we're done. You could be right, but I, I know Robert produced that record, but mm-hmm. um, uh, the guitar player was in the Letterman band. Oh, Sid. Uh, Sid, Sid's uh, on, Sid, Sid was in the band as well back oh, then. Oh, okay. And, and one of the things that, that Peter really likes, and we know from uh, um, uh, David Rhodes, who eventually became the guitar players, they would do, um, they would do two guitar parts with like different kinds of open tunings. And it's, it's, it's like impossible to play the sa- the sound that you get with those two different tunings. Maybe you know, that's like, what this is. Yeah. Um, but I don't know if he was, I don't know if he was doing that already on that record or not. Um, wow. Interesting. But I do, I do have a little story about Tony playing the bass on that. Cause Robert told me, that I don't, I think that might've been the first time that Tony had, uh, Peter had met Tony and they came in and they played the song for him one listen. And then he did one take. Wow. And that's the record. Wow. And the song's had seven too. So it's, uh, it's very useful. I mean, it's not a, it's not a, uh, it's a simple, I'm using air quotes here, simple baseline, but it's, it's a brilliant, it's a brilliant part. It sure is. Yeah. Well, speaking of Robert Fripp, I mean, there's he, there's a lot of things we could talk about Fripp. I think I told you um, my wife is actually a big fan of David Sylvian and Robert Fripp, and we met him oh, once. But nice. uh, and Daryl Hall still keeps in touch with him because of that record. Uh, they've had a relationship for many, many years. Sacred Songs, which is right. an amazing record. The record you played on. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. 
And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Called The First Day, which I'm a yeah. big fan of. David yeah. Sylvie and Robert Fripp. And some of that, I think you, I asked you about it and you said... Uh, it was recorded in multiple studios. I think some of it was done in New Orleans at S. Yeah, we did. We did some at Dreamland, uh, 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 Jerry Murata's studio now in Woodstock. Uh, mm. A lot of it was there, and then we went down to was it Kingsway? Is that what Kingsway. it was called? That was Dan yeah. Benoit's studio. Yeah, yeah, and then we um, did it down there, and then I think you know what? It was mixed at Electric Ladyland. No songs to sing. Yeah, that's a, that's a, was a great experience. We did, um, originally it was just a trio with Robert and David and I, and we did a couple of little tours, uh, in Japan and Italy just as a trio, uh, no percussion. And it was pretty cool. Pretty cool. In fact, I've been, one of the things I've been doing the last five or six months is digitizing all my analog tapes. And I found a bunch of cassettes from our first uh writing sessions in david's apartment in london yeah i saw your uh your youtube video where you're baking cassettes yeah 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 i'm almost <laughs> yeah, through did. i've been doing adats now and i've i've got like from, from my band uh, to, uh that was on the road in the early uh 2000s and i've uh uh oh man it's a long process i'm almost through it i've got like nine tapes left yeah i've got about how many adap machines do you have okay so i had one original blackface mm-hmm. i remember those. and then i bought uh three used uh whatever the next one the was gold the, X, the xts yeah and check this out so but i can only rec- i only set up to do 16 tracks dubs at a time mm. and it was working great for a while and now all the fancy xt ones they're, they're crapping out on me. So I'm still, I'm just down to the blackface, which is, and, and I think what's happening is that the, the XTs are so sensitive about the time code that if something drops, they just freak out and stop. Mm. Whereas the, the blackface, he doesn't give a shit. He's just, I'm just going to motor along here.
said you played on 33 CDs with King Crimson. That's pretty amazing. It's probably more than that now because Robert keeps, Robert keeps releasing more and more live shows. You know, we, we, uh, yeah, uh, let's say new business models. So when, so Crimson stopped in like 85 with Tony and Adrian Blue and Bill Bruford. And then there was a 10 year break and we started up again. It was now a six piece with, the same four guys, myself, and then uh, drummer Pat Masolato, who, who toured with the David Sylvian band. Uh, at that point, we got, uh, we had a, uh, they put together a big, you know, regular label deal with Virgin Records, but Robert mm-hmm. got permission for us to make an EP on our own and put it out before the Virgin Records release. And that model became uh, eventually became his own label discipline records so we kind of started this um he started this model which is now no big deal it's just how it is but at the time it was pretty radical that they would actually let us put out another release or put out releases in between the major label releases Hmm. and one of robert's ideas was that um, bootlegging just always drove him mad crazy mad for years and years. He hated it. So his idea was that we're going to un- undercut the bootleggers by putting out our own bootlegs that sound better than any bootleg, uh, than anybody could get of a show and, you know, kind of kill that market. And so that's what he's done. And so there's, I mean, there's multiple shows from every tour now. So that's kind of how it adds up. I see. Well, that's a that's a nice uh, legacy to have behind you, for sure. Yeah, yeah. And you were, um, I, I mean, I'm a big Adrian Ballou fan too. So we have to. I got to ask you something. If you got a cool story about Adrian, I'm a big fan of his. You know, the thing about Adrian is, it's really interesting. I I, I think. I mean, I've always been an Adrian fan, and and playing with him, and we worked in his. Uh, we often worked at his place in Nashville. Mm-hmm. So we spent a lot of time uh, at his house and with his family and in his backyard and all that. Um, so if you, if you listen to Robert, he's undeniably a unique player. Nobody plays like him, right. except Adrian can play like him and has played with him and played like him. But he also played with Zappa you know, Laurie Anderson, David Bowie, even Paul Simon. Yeah. And uh, that's, that's a level of flexibility as a player. That's, uh, I don't know, to me, it's unsurpassed. It's, it's, uh, it's kind of shocking that somebody could actually do all those contexts. Right. right. Yeah. 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 I'm a big fan, all the nine inch nails and, um, what's the other record he did? Uh, Tina Weymouth, that band. Oh yeah. The, uh, um, uh, uh, Tom Tom Club. Tom Tom Club. Yeah, yeah, everybody thinks it's Nile Rodgers playing that rhythm part, but that's that's Adrian. No, that's Adrian all over yeah. the place. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And you know, have you heard? I mean, this is Adrian's story, but have you heard the story about when he auditioned for Frank Zappa? Uh, I've heard. You know, I've heard it in interviews, but not just, straight from the just, source. Just, but yeah, just the way he, you know, he. I, I can't. I think Zappa saw him playing. I can't remember how Zappa just saw him. It was like at a Holiday club. Inn, right? In yeah, 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 yeah. Mm-hmm. And he, he he said, "Fly out to L.A. and you know, audition for the band or whatever. Come out and play for the day." And 
he showed up at the studio and Frank flew him out. He showed up at the studio and Frank put a bunch of sheet music in front of him. And Adrian said, well, I don't read music. And Frank said, oh, that's too bad. Well, nice meeting you. <laughs> and, and Adrian was like, no, 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 no. You got to let me, uh, you know, g- give me a, you know, give me the audio. I'll go back to my hotel room and I'll come back tomorrow and, and we'll play through the stuff. And Frank said, yeah, you know, you, you don't understand. This is not that kind of music. You, you don't do that. And he was like, no, no. And he just begged him. And sure enough, Frank gave him a cassette and a cassette player. And he went back to his uh, hotel and came back the next day and freaking knew all the stuff. Amazing. And, and Frank was like, okay, you win. <laughs> yeah. That live in New York um, video, baby snakes and all that. He's, he's, star of the show he and bozio pretty pretty ridiculous band of crafty guitarists were you, were you did you perform some of that those uh, that- uh I, I did i was there at the very beginning um i was on the i went to the, th- the very third guitar craft course uh in 1986 i believe wow. it was um and that's where i first got the Robert's guitar tuning of the, 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 what he calls the new standard tuning of the fifth tuning. And, uh, I was not involved for very long, but for a couple, couple of years, once I started playing the Chapman stick, um, I wasn't really in, involved anymore. I remember reading guitar player magazine in the eighties had a, uh, I think it was called craft, the crafty guitarist. I could be wrong, but he had his, his monthly column and, I never knew what the hell he was talking about. <laughs> Maybe yeah. I could go back now and read it. It would make sense. But back then I was like, ah, I don't even know what this is. But it was really interesting, his whole, you know, his whole. Uh, it's funny. I had a similar of- experience with, um, I remember reading in Musician Magazine that, you know, in the next issue was going to be Robert interviewing, uh, Robert and John McLaughlin interviewing each other. And those two were the guys that just, were the kings for me and i was like oh i can't wait i can't wait they're gonna i'm gonna find out what kind of scales they play and (laughs) and what kind of rhythms and like the structure and all they talked about was like the color of keys and the how they liked chocolate and they didn't talk about any of the stuff i wanted to talk about i was so (laughs) i wanted to hear about i was so frustrated Yeah, we have when we had uh, on Daryl Hall's on live from Daryl's house, we had Ben Folds as a guest once, and Ben chose two or three songs off of Sacred Songs, and one of them is called um, "Don't Leave Me Alone with Her," and it's got a Fripp solo on there, which is I learned it, and it was like uh, 
I think it's quintuplets. It's some weird sequence thing he does. It's yeah, I had to throw it in there and make sure I tried to tried to do justice. But uh, yeah, and you guys did that other song that I really wanted to play with Jerry. Babs um, and Babs. No, uh, it's like uh, something NYC or. That's a great yeah. record, man. Anybody? Oh wait, is that off the Exposure record? Well, I think they're kind of the same record now. Like I think they combined them. Maybe I, I forget. Daryl told me this story. I mean, because it was right. shelled for years. Um, yeah, I think they sort of combined them. You might be right. It might be on Exposure, which was yeah. You guys rocked that too, and uh, made me want to made me want to play it. Yeah. Well. He says he's a fan of the show because I know Daryl's in touch with him. Daryl's like, "Why don't you come on, come on the show?" And he never, never replies. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, I remember years ago, man, going. Um, I got invited to go to hear uh, Joe Satriani and Steve Vai, um, the band I was playing with at the at the time, had the same management company. So of course I was. These were like my heroes. So I got to go backstage and. It, there's this little English guy making tea, dressed in a three-piece suit, little round <laughs> glasses. And my wife goes, is that Robert Fripp? I go, yeah, I think it is. Oh, my God. I was like, wow, really? You even know who Robert Fripp is? And he came over to us and was so nice. And, you know, he he said, uh, I think he bowed to her and said, konnichiwa, because she's Japanese. <laughs> uh-huh. Japanese, you know. Right. It was like she was just blown away. Wow. And, he, and he played through a, uh, an Aventide and just did a solo set. It was really right. great. Forced limitations spur creativity, like versus having too many options. Uh, a- absolutely. Um, I think we're yeah. I mean, having so many options, it's it's easy to kind of I think to freeze up. Yeah. And you know, it's really it's a it's a deep question. It's not a it's not a. It, I mean, it's easy to kind of gloss over it as a simple question, but. Um, it's, it's actually a really deep question because let me think of an example. Um, you know, even in terms of, let's say how many pitches you're using is, is, this is one thing I've been working with a lot lately is, I mean, there's a million different scales and there's all these different combinations and this and that, but we, we tend to think of, um, like seven note scales and, Mm -hmm when, at least in my view at this point, when you use all of those colors, let's say all the seven notes of whatever Dorian mode or whatever major, doesn't matter. When you use them all, you, you can kind of end up with a, a, like a white light of sound, depending on how you use it. Of course, a lot of people use them in different ways, but I find What's, what's much more interesting to me nowadays is to, to just have five notes, you know, maybe six, but even sometimes when I'm just playing around, I like to just go down to four notes Mm. and, and it's interesting how having, I'm talking about 
just kind of exploring at the moment, not necessarily right. making something, but you know, you make something from what you, or at least how I work and how I encourage other people is to kind of set up an exploration area, explore in there, and then take things out of that room and move them to a, a, a kind of a production or composing room, if that's mm -hmm. making sense. Mm -hmm. So I'm talking about just in the play area. Mm -hmm. And for me to, to play with, as in this example, a really reduced set of notes, for example, just five notes, so much more happens so much more um the colors are more defined and they're more specific i feel like um even four notes and 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 sometimes i'll look for uh, a combination of four or say five notes that's an unusual combination that doesn't fall into one of the normal modes or or but for me, two things happen. One is you're kind of forced to uh, be inventive with less materials. And um, it, it, it encourages a, a, just more playfulness. But also what, what I find is when the materials are reduced, there's just more nuance of kind of the ambiguity in, uh, available, mm -hmm. which is... Um, you know, I, it's hard for me to know whether that's there's a there's a truly objective uh, higher quality of that with ambiguity, or it's just a personal thing that I just love it when I don't quite know what's going on. I don't know where the to be super technical. I don't know where the root is. I don't know where we are. Right. right. Uh, I I just love that. You know, I love it when the rhythm is is um, uh, confusing me. You know, of course. You know, like we started talking about punk rock. That's not how that work, that music works. Um, but I do find, I do find that um, those kind of limits are, are good. And, you know, I don't, I think of it in terms of like pitch or sound more than I do rhythmically. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know why that is, you know. I mean, certainly one of the deaths of, of uh, working in the studio is if you start, you call up a keyboard and you start going through all the keyboard sounds to find a good one. <laughs> right, right. That's the, that's the end of the day, you know. Well, that's, that's kind of what I was alluding to earlier. I mean, you brought up harmonically, which I think is also really important, but I, I meant like just physically too, like, you know, yeah. less... Less yeah. shit, less pedals, le less options, you know? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, one of the things I really like to do and one of the one of the things that's helped me learn my instrument really well is to to play on one string. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I and it's really changed the... Um, what, one of the things we haven't really touched on is that I... That my instrument is generally made to be held upright like a guitar, but now I'm playing it almost exclusively on my lap like a keyboard. And that's how I look at the instrument now is, is a string horizontally across my lap. And so I've spent, I spend a, I have spent a lot of time and I still do just exploring what, how, what, what you can do on one string, how, how the, the melodies fall on a string. And uh, there's a lot, there's a lot you can do on one string. Sure. You know? yep. It forces, it forces uh it forces you to kind of make new solutions to your, uh, I don't like to, I, I, unfortunately I have to use the word problem, but, 
but really it's, it's, I think we're asking, we ask, we're asking questions and trying to solve kind of a problem as, as musicians, artists, and yeah, yeah. the, the, the answers that we get are kind of the material we end up with. And, and so that's, that's what, uh, that's how I look at these limitations, you know, like what, what can I do with this? You know, what's, what's in there, what's hiding in there. You do coaching for sculptors and artists and, um, you know, painters, meaning artists, painters, uh, musicians as well. But if somebody contacted you, I mean, like I did, could you just briefly describe the process? I know every, I know it's an individual basis, but you know, you. Yeah. And that's, that's, that's part of the, that's part of the thing, you know, for me, um, I got into this coaching model because the teaching model didn't work for me. Mm. Uh, and, and now I have a distinction between the two and, and sometimes there's a little overlap, but for me, the, um, what used to happen to me for many years, like maybe 20 years, people would come to me, uh, to learn how to play my instrument and I would meet with them and I would tell them what to do. And then they would go away and I would never see them again. <laughs> And I don't know if it's because uh, the instrument is challenging and I told them what they needed to do and it was just too much or it just this, this, this teaching model, uh, which is how I just didn't work for me, which, and, and to, to briefly describe it, the teaching model, the way I look at it is you've got some secret information that I want and share it with me. And it's kind of about the, 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 the student I'm using air quotes, but the student is underneath the teacher mm-hmm. and the teachers above them. And they're trying to kind of impart their thing and the students trying to get it. And the coaching model is completely different. It's, it's, it's both the people kind of at the same level. Um, mm-hmm. and the, the thing that didn't make sense to me about teaching was that I can teach you what I do, but that just seems ridiculous. Why should I teach you what I do? Because one, I'm already doing it and I'm better at it than you're ever going to be because I'm way ahead of you. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it just seems kind of weird for me to show people what I do and how I do things. It, 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 it just didn't seem, it didn't feel genuine to me. And the coaching model is, you know, what do you want to do? Right. And then I have my resources. And, you know, some of those may be technical things. Some of them may be just observations, but really the question is, uh, it's a different kind of mindset. The mindset is, I know I'm going around in circles a little bit here, but it's, it's not easy to kind of get it all concisely. The, The teaching mindset is I have the information you want it. The coaching mindset is you actually have the information. We just have to clear it and find it and make a strategy for it. So it's more about inquiry and it's a better model, I think, for um, finding a, a, a unique voice. You know, it, it, can, it, can, it can work with anything. It's just a matter of kind of posing the right kind of questions and inquiring and, and making sure that, it, that what path people think they're on is really the one that they genuinely want to be on. So I kind of poke at that and, and I have a lot, I have a variety of people. I have people who 
are just kind of stuck on something and it just helps to, to open it up and talk about it. I have other people who um, bring me compositions every single week and we go through it and we kind of see how well it's lining up with their vision. And, and um, it's great. I love it. I love it. It's, it's, it's one of the parts that I really love is when people are bringing me music and I, I, I feel like I'm, not like a producer, but a little bit in the sense of like listening to the aims that the person stating that they want to do and then listening for what the music wants to do and where they meet, you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's great. I love it. Yeah. Well, you're really good at it. Oh. <laughs> well, Trey, I think we, uh, I appreciate your time and I'm glad we could get together and yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Virtual. But yeah, I'll uh, I'll put links to everything and um, and so people can find you on your website. I know you have a Bandcamp site. I'll put links yeah. to all that. And if you're interested in coaching, they can reach you through your website. I highly recommend it. So awesome. Yeah. Well, thanks again, Trey. Thanks for having me, and uh, always a pleasure to catch up. Likewise. All right. All right. Cheers, man. All right, there you have it, Mr. Trey Gunn. Hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Check out his music. Visit TreyGunn.com, T-R-E-Y-G-U-N-N. He's got a great Bandcamp site as well. Tons of music up there. Hit him up for some, um, some coaching. I recommend it check out my website shaneterrio.com go ahead and sign up be a mojo vip member and look forward to seeing you there take care Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Thank you.